Ukraine as seen from Latin America. You're listening to the podcast Explaining Ukraine by ukraineworld.org, a website in English about Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm Ukrainian philosopher and journalist, chief editor of ukraineworld.org. In this episode, I speak to Argentinian journalist Karolina Amoroso, who shares her experience of reporting from Ukraine during the war. She shares her understanding of the Ukrainian struggle, the strength of Ukrainian resistance, and the driving role of women in Ukrainians' fight for their freedom. This is our serious thinking in dark times, which seeks to make Ukraine and the current war a focal point of our common reflection about the world's present, past and future. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the largest Ukrainian media NGOs. You can support us at patreon.com slash ukraineworld. Karolina Amoroso, welcome to this podcast. Thank you very much, Volodymyr. I'm very honored to be here. So you are an Argentinian journalist who reported uh, a lot and re is reporting a lot uh, uh, from Ukraine and from this war, the Russian war against Ukraine. Can you tell me your impressions, your first impressions when you started covering Ukraine? Uh, what country did you find for yourself? What maybe surprised you? What inspired you? Well, you know what? I was in Ukraine three times since the beginning of the large-scale invasion. I like to speak about it in those terms because the war uh, goes far back. You know, it, it's way before uh, February 24th, 2022. But I've only been in Ukraine after February 24th, 2022. Actually, on that day, I was leaving Argentina to go to Ukraine right at the beginning of the large-scale invasion. On that first trip, I saw, well, millions of women and children leaving the country as we were approaching the border. But as we got into Ukraine, I found that um, there was this really deep, profound desire of resistance. I think that is the word I've been pronouncing the most ever since I started covering Ukraine, resistance. Um, which doesn't mean by any means accepting the injustice, but it means knowing what the facts are and being willing to fight for those things that are sort of um, uh, a, like a, a memory from a very traumatic past, but also a question about the future. I think Ukraine is confronted with a question about what world it wants to belong to. And I think Ukrainians have already answered that question. And I think that, um, of course, in a very atrocious way, um, the autocratic regime led by Vladimir Putin is making Ukraine pay for its decision, uh, which is very far away from a destiny that Vladimir Putin has sent, has, uh, designed for his own people. Um, I think that is basically what's going on. And, and because that is, to me, a fact right now, having been to Ukraine three times over the last year, I can tell you that this is not a war about territory. And those talking about um, 
some sort of territorial compromise on Ukraine's side for there to be a negotiation and for there to be a peace settlement are ignoring the fact that this is not a war about territory. This is a war about identity and this is a war about freedom and sovereignty. When I talk to Europeans, uh, sometimes, of course, Ukraine is part of Europe and Europeans are probably the most uh, frequent people that we meet. And for them, it's obviously very, very shocking to see this war because Europe was built on this idea. I mean, Western Europe was built on this idea that we've they finally uh, brought out peace, constructed peace. We know how untrue this story, this European story about itself is actually because this story forgets about both European colonialism in the 19th and 20th century, but also European colonialism during the construction of the European Union in the in the 60s, in the 50s and 60s. But for you as an Argentinian, was it was it also surprising the spirit of resistance, or you rather recognized something that you uh, are familiar with? Well, I definitely recognize some things I'm familiar with: the trauma of war. Uh, the fact that war runs in something that I like to call the blood memory, um, and the fact that that can come, can can take over your entire body and your entire um, mind frame in 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 the brink of an eye. Really, it can take over your entire existence in a second, and you don't really know how it's happening. I, I remember going into Ukraine. And instantly I knew what was going on without really knowing what was going on. And I think that has to do with a blood memory that we as Latin Americans have because we come from uh, such a traumatized um, uh, like migration, you know. Um, and I think that's something we can relate to. Uh, on the other hand, I think there is something quite a stoic and... Um, Yes, and even, uh, I wouldn't say irrational, but hard to grasp about the extent of Ukrainian resistance that I think makes it very unique. But I think it has to do with the fact that your history has been suppressed from the narrative for so long. Like, it's only now that we, on this side of the world, are... Um, coming to the realization that you went through a genocide, that you went through Holodomor, you know? Um, and I think there's been such a huge part of your history that has been systematically erased, like deliberately erased, that I think that also explains what um, you are confronting right now. It's, it's, um, it's like... You're setting the record straight this time, and uh, and I think that's what explains uh, how the blood memory acts in such in in this case in such a historic a stoic way. That um, element of the almost extraordinary about the Ukrainian resistance, I think, it comes from that very traumatic past that has been silenced for so long. Uh, thank you for, for pointing it out. Uh, I think Ukrainian example shows that sometimes those communities whose story is not heard, at one point at the time, they they can bring their story to the foreground. And uh, uh, indeed, if you look at Ukrainian history, then you see that for how many centuries, how many decades and centuries, 
the Ukrainian resistance story, the story of the Cossacks as free warriors, freedom-loving people, was actually suppressed by the imperial narrative. And uh, actually, the rest of the world was kind of deaf towards it for for a very long time. And uh, when I'm thinking about Ukraine, I also think that this example can also give give some inspiration for other peoples, for other nations, uh, including maybe in Latin America, including maybe in Asia, including maybe in Africa, who also feel that that they are always been in history on the losing side, and therefore they were always kind of uh, silenced. But one day they they came they can come to the fore of history and and suddenly their voice is heard. So do you think that Ukraine can give this example to not to the Western world but let's say to the to the world that feels silenced as well? Well, you know what I um I think we have a lot of lessons to learn from Ukraine and from this experience of setting some records straight, setting some records straight. Um, you know what, in Latin America, we are going through a very sad process that it has a very clear expression in humanitarian crises that are going on, particularly in Venezuela, in Cuba, uh, in Nicaragua, human, a huge human rights uh, crisis. Uh, and what we're seeing is that um, we have some of the leftist movements across Latin America having a really hard time explaining the automatic solidarity they have expressed um, towards these regimes uh, throughout recent, recent history. And I think you're probably wondering why I'm bringing this up, and I'm bringing this up because that is one thing I think we have to break. The fact that narratives are more powerful than human suffering is just something we cannot tolerate in this era where information is very accessible, where we can actually figure out for ourselves what we think about particular situations and where we can break ideological solidarity, automatic ideological solidarity. Um, And I think that's what has happened uh, with Russia as well. I think there was uh, like a sort of romantic perspective on what Russia meant and what the Soviet Union meant. And I think that when you approach the territory and when you come across the real human stories, you know the the immense tragedy that those projects, those political and social projects implied for millions of people. And I think that there is a very interesting uh, like uh, parallel perspective that we can trace there to, to learn to, I think, sharpen our critical thinking and know that those biases are uh, very, like, unfortunately, they, they've all almost said a complicity with the systematic human rights violation and with the biggest atrocities that have gone on, uh, I would say, for the second half of the uh, 20th century up till now. Yes, and and this um, this is really unfortunate that for for many people in the world, and unfortunately, this is also I think increasing right now. <clears throat> this clash between doctrine and reality, when there is a clash between doctrine and reality, or between 
your ideology and reality that you see, it, it's very often that ideology wins over the reality and you just uh, close your eyes on, on what you see. You, 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 uh, you say a lot of about human stories and I really, uh, really appreciate that because it is, uh, that's what I'm trying to fight, <clears throat> fight for also when we talk about this war because there is a lot, lots of talk about this war in terms of geopolitics, in terms of territories, in terms of a chess play, you know, uh, how we move these figures on the chessboard. And this is really unacceptable for us uh, because f for us inside, it, it is all about human stories. And as I, as I travel a lot in, in Ukraine into the war zones and to the frontline areas, I've seen lots of these human stories, but much more of them are, of course, still unheard and still unseen. So stories of people who were trying to evacuate, but uh, with the civilian cars, with their children from uh, Bucha or Hostomel near Kiev, but then were sadistically and cynically shot uh, by the Russian soldiers. Or a story of women who were giving birth to the kids uh, under the shelling, uh, on the day of the of the war or on the next day, and uh, miraculously these these kids survived, or the stories of Russian bombing the civilian buildings, multi-story buildings, and killing dozens of people who are who were actually hiding in the basement, but the bombs were so powerful that they just hit through the basement, and the stories of civilians, the philologists, uh, writers, uh, IT experts who took up arms to defend their country, and many of them are, are not uh, not alive right now. So many, many stories that we are telling at Ukraine World, but maybe some of the stories, the human stories touched your heart so so much that you would like to share, uh, share them with us. Oh, yes. Um, well, I've been... I've been in a lot of places in Ukraine. Um, I, yeah, I kind of fell in love with the human stories because I do find, and I have said this before about Latin American realities as well, uh, human stories are the kryptonite of propaganda and doctrine. Uh, and that's why I think they're so powerful. But uh, they, well, they end up um, turning journalism into a way of living. Uh, and that's why I think I'm I'm so grateful to people who have shared their stories with me. Uh, I've come across incredible stories. I uh, met the family of Oleksi, a fallen soldier from Dnipro. Uh, and I met his daughter, Valentina, who's one of the most beautiful people I've ever met in my life. She's 11 years old and she's holding her family together. Uh, she's um, trying to get her mom to wake up every morning. She makes coffee for them. She dreams about going back to Belgium or about bringing some of the peace she felt months ago in Belgium to her home before uh, her daddy died. Um, I I loved speaking to her because she was just, it, it was so clear to me that Valentina is what's at stake. Valentina and her dreams are what's at stake for Ukraine. A little girl who's dreaming about going to college, who's probably dreaming about, um, you know, freedom. That's 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 something to dream about. And it, when I asked her what her dad 
told her she was she, she was 11 years old what her dad taught her she answered like without even thinking about it to be a free person um and to me that was such a big lessons a lesson on resilience uh and on and on, on courage you know maybe to some people in this world dying is not the worst thing that can happen to you maybe having to give up on the things that are worth living for is the worst thing that can happen to you and that i think is a lesson that I, that that i definitely uh take like hold in my heart and and that i've definitely learned from ukraine and ukrainian people i also met um a, a man a 35 year old guy i'd like to think of him as a guy because a, I'm 37 so I'd like to think of him as a young person because he is a young person but he seemed to have lived like far four lives uh he's been serving in the uh he's been serving in a brigade uh in the military since 2015 um and he talked to me about all his experiences he was such a sweet guy and I asked him what are you going to do when the war ends and he answered to me one of the most excruciatingly painful things i've ever heard which is i'm going to try living for myself because i don't know what life is for myself i've been living for my country um and then after we talked he gave me his flag you know that uh, soldiers have their flags signed by um members of their brigade um some of them had died and he thought uh it would be better with me and he told me and i was like i'm not going to accept this present because this is something that is very important to you and he was generous and um just it, it was just such an incredible moment for me to receive that flag and i hold it very dear to my heart and in a very safe place of my apartment here in buenos aires but what i think he was trying to tell me is now you have a responsibility which is to tell the story and to tell the story from a human perspective um and i have and i have that and i hold that as a reminder of of like a moral imperative that is also part of our responsibility as journalists you know um we are i i once heard from christiana mampour that uh journalists journalists don't necessarily have to be neutral they have to be truthful and i think that's a lesson that i've kind of reinforced from my experience in ukraine and from these human stories thank you for telling these stories they're, they're really very very touching uh, one thing i want to follow up uh, uh because i have the impression that uh, at some some areas in the world when you talk about soldiers people try to kind of uh, keep their distance right and uh, it's it's very difficult for example to to collect funds to support i mean abroad to support the ukrainian army because people are afraid of 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 supporting that and and they rather are okay with supporting civilians but not not, not the military and they are afraid of of this military thing but what you're what you are talking about is that these people these soldiers are 
so ordinary and at the same time so extraordinary. And uh, what I also feel when I talk to Ukrainian soldiers is how much humaneness there are in them. It's it's of course not the rule. There are different persons. There are there are bad persons in the Ukrainian army as well. But uh, what strikes me is is this humaneness that you see in 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 their eyes very often. Do you do you have this impression too? Yes. Um, I've been, oh my gosh, I've been heartbroken by the stories of some of your soldiers. Um, not because, uh, any of them conveyed something that makes you feel a, a, a sense of pity or anything, but, but because they have been, some of them have been serving for so long and it's so exhausting, um, all of the people I've come across, or most of the people I come across, I've come across who serve in the army, uh, are the people who are most desperate for peace. <laughs> Everyone is desperate for peace, but um, there is really, like you know, I I find that there is um, something quite extraordinary about the fact that this year, the biggest movie of the year has been All Quiet on the Western Front, which is a movie that has a very clear perspective of war, about war. There is no silver lining about war. There is no romantic perspective of war. War is hell. War is, yes, it's, it's, it's atrocious. But you also have to keep in mind that for a country to be able to resist uh, for a country to be able to protect its children, there has to be people who are serving to, um, to, to protect and to fight the aggressor. And that is a fact. Sometimes life confronts us with uh, the dark reality that you have to defend. You have to defend yourself from the aggressor. Um, and, uh, and it's, and it's sad and it's horrible. And there's also a question, and I think I heard an interview, uh, not too long ago, uh, I think it was Letterman with, uh, um, with Zelensky who actually asked him, like, uh, Zelensky was talking about what you do with, with kind of the horrible feelings that take over you when you are being the victim of such an atrocious violence, you know? And, uh, and I think I, I don't want to, um, I don't, I don't want to be, uh, I, I don't want to be, be unprecise about this, but, uh, I think that what Zelensky was saying is you have to be very careful to not turn yourself into an animal because you are fighting an animal or a monster, you know? Um, and I think that's something to be very careful about. Also, from, an, from a narrative perspective, you know, uh, you, you do have to keep in mind that there is no silver lining about war, that there is no silver lining about violence, but that this is a country that has to defend itself. There is no other way. There is no... There is no option because it's a country that's been um, constantly like uh, it, it's been a, a victim of constant hostility and it has to defend itself. It has to defend its children. 
Let us talk about the maybe horizontal things and how we can look at Ukraine from from your country, from Argentina, from Latin America, and maybe find something that we we can we share about. For example, we can talk about music, we can talk about a certain attitude to traditions, we can talk about certain specific maybe attitude to clothes. Were there some moments in Ukraine that you you caught yourself and said, yeah, this is it. Uh, I, I can see the same in Argentina. I can feel the same in, in Argentina. I will not feel it in, 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 in other parts of the world. And maybe vice versa, were there moments or places in which you, you would be saying, no, this is totally different. I will never understand it. This is just absolutely different things. Oh, I would definitely say that there's... Uh, there's an aspect that has to do with women and with how central in the organization of society women are and how how essential to the war effort and to the efforts of the resistance women are. I think it's fair to say that. Uh, and I think it's important to say it because women, talking about suppression from history, women have been suppressed from the narrative about war and wars all throughout history and all throughout European history. And I think the Ukrainian war is also an opportunity to set the record straight about what the role of women is. And I find that there's a very strong like parallelism between the very central role in Ukrainian families that women have and in the very central role in the morale that women have in this war. And I think that... It, constantly rings a bell, a bell for me um, thinking about the role that our grandmothers, our nonas have had, our, um, our mothers have had throughout Argentinian history, like uh, getting through economic crisis, getting through uh, moments of, of major human rights violations in this country. Women have been central in raising their voices. Women have been central in setting the record straight once again. So I think um, I, I, I love that aspect about Ukrainian reality and about Ukrainian history. Women are have been in charge of telling the story. Um, and I think this is a very important opportunity to give them the place they have and the place they've earned in history. That's very interesting and uh, really a food for thought. And maybe my last question, uh, I know that in uh, Latin America and other parts of the world, there is this narrative that, look, Russia is actually waging a war against America. America is a, is a worldwide colonizer and imperialist. And we began our conversation with the fact that we, we do not deny, uh, we Ukrainians also do not deny the critical people, critical think, uh, thinking people, do not deny the European imperialisms and, uh, or, or American imperialisms and all the, all the troubles about that. But what, uh, what really makes us very, very angry is when Russia is trying to present itself as anti-colonial or anti-imperial power because Russia itself is a... It's a dark, uh, uh, old uh, and cruel empire. So what would you say to these people who support this argument in your country or in neighboring countries? What would you say to them? 
Well, I would say uh, I met a child in Kiev's biggest kids hospital who was fighting for his life after getting a transplant and who, as he was fighting for his life, did not know what was happening with his father and his sister because they were in an occupied territory. I would say, I would tell them like almost uh, like with an unstoppable force, um, I would tell them story after story because I think that is the kryptonite of ideological perspectives of something that is essentially a question about human rights. Where you're standing um, in regards to the war in Ukraine, to the invasion of Ukraine, tells me where you're standing about human rights and about the fight for human rights, fundamental rights, and democracy. If you're standing in the same place I'm standing, then there's no, no, absolutely no bias that can stop you from condemning Russian invasion. Uh, that's that's what I would have to say. Carolina Moroso, thank you so much for being in this podcast. Thank you very much. And I'm sorry if my English is kind of rusty. I was just trying to find the most honest words to answer. Thank you. No, your English is perfect. And uh, thank you for yeah. your for your empathy and uh, for the feeling, for the emotion, true true emotion of, of uh, compassion that, that I can feel in your voice. And this is incredible to feel this compassion across the ocean. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Volodymyr. This was a podcast explaining Ukraine by ukraineworld.org and our series Thinking in Dark Times. This series seeks to make Ukraine and the current war a focal point of our common reflection about the world's present, past and future. We try to see the light through and despite the current darkness. You can support us at patreon.com slash ukraineworld. You can also support our volunteer trips to the frontline areas at paypal ukraine.resisting.gmail.com. Stay with us and stand with Ukraine. Thank you.